All right, guys, we're going to look at Zechariah chapter 9 through chapter 11. Now, I told you last week we, I, I was going to try to put this in one lesson because uh, it's chapter 9 through chapter 14. Well, it ended up I had to, I had to divide it, okay, because chapter 9 through uh, chapter 11 is about the rejection of the Messiah, okay? Uh, is about the rejection of what they would view as the coming king. And actually what is referred to in this passage is the good shepherd. Chapter 12 through 14 then is the establishment of that king in his uh, millennial kingdom, what we would call the millennial kingdom later on, okay? So... I kind of had to divide it into two so we could talk about these. Well, it's just a lot of material, too. So we could talk about these uh, three chapters, focus on the rejection part. And it's interesting, when you look at what Zechariah is saying, and, and I cross-referenced it with one of the Gospels, the whole rejection thing makes sense. So it's not like it just happened out of the blue. Do you know what I'm saying? Even though they weren't aware and looking for the rejection of the Messiah during Jesus' time, they were told several hundred years, at least 400 years beforehand, that this was going to happen. Do you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, so it's going to be an interesting look today at what uh, Zechariah is saying. So why don't we go ahead and start. <clears throat> we're going to look at, <clears throat> first of all, chapter 9 and chapter 10. I've entitled it, The Fall of the Nations. What do you mean the fall of the nations? Well, he's going to talk specifically about some nations to the north of Israel that are going to have a problem. But when the Messiah comes, it ultimately is going to result in the, de in the defeat of the nations. Okay, uh, Even if he's rejected, ultimately the nations will be defeated. Okay, So just want you to be aware of that. So, and, and when I say that, can, can I, we've got to keep it biblically in reference here. That includes us as the U.S. Did you understand that all nations are going to bow the knee, period? Did you understand? So just, just realize that, okay? So let's take a look, first of all, at verses 1 to 7 of chapter 9. Now, this is uh, some judgments on the surrounding nations. So here's what Zechariah writes. The oracle of the word of the Lord against the land of Hadrach and Damascus is its resting place. For the Lord has an eye on mankind and all the tribes of Israel, and on Hamath also, which, is, which borders on it, and Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise. Tyre has built herself a rampart and heaped up silver like dust and fine gold like mud of the street. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions, strike down her power on the sea, and she will be devoured by fire. Ashkelon shall see it and be afraid. Gaza too and shall writhe in anguish. Ekron also, because its hopes are confounded. The king shall perish from Gaza and Eshkelon shall be uninhabited. A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of Philistia. 
I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abominations from between its teeth. It shall be a remnant for our God, and it shall be like a clan in Judah, and Ekron shall be like the Jesuits. All right, so let's take a look here at what's going on here. All right, so first of all, the judgment of the surrounding nations. So the prophecy, excuse me, the prophet receives an oracle concerning the coming judgment on the nations surrounding, um, surrounding uh, Israel. Actually, it's, when I say surrounding, they're to one side, because again, to the east, it's desert. But you've got on this side, the west, you've got the nations, the cities of Philistia, okay, the Philistines. To the north, you have the Assyrians, or what's left of the Assyrians, the Syria, okay, because it mentions Damascus. Hadrach was the land, was a place far to the north in what would be Assyria, but Assyria is gone now. This is the Medo-Persian Empire that they're in. But Tyre and Sidon, okay, Tyre is a city, a city nation. Sidon is what we would call Lebanon, okay? So he's going to pronounce a judgment on these folks. When will this judgment take place? Is it going to take place during the time of the Medo-Persians? No. A little bit later on, and we're going to tell you exactly who it is here in a moment. The Lord sees all mankind, especially the land of Syria and Tyre as well, the prophet is saying. He sees everything, all right? Tyre has secured itself and has great wealth, but the Lord will strip her of everything. The interesting thing about Tyre and the city of Tyre is this. Tyre was an island just off the coast, not far, just off the coast of Lebanon. And they built a city there and encased it with a huge wall. So basically, it was impregnable. There was no way to get to it. Tyre also became, because it was on, they were an island right off the coast of Lebanon, they became a seafaring people. And so with that, they gained great wealth from what? Ships going and dealing everywhere. And, and here's the thing. So when, when the Assyrians took over, they couldn't, they couldn't breach the city. They just took over, but they couldn't breach the city. When Nebuchadnezzar came through and wiped out the Assyrians and took over there, he couldn't breach the city. There was no way to breach the city. I mean, quote, I mean, they had sieges for long periods of time, and they couldn't breach the city. Now, one guy came and did it in six months. And that would be later on a guy by the name of Alexander the Great. Anybody know Alexander the Great? What nation is he from? Anybody know? Greece, yeah, he's a Greek. Okay, we're going to talk about the sons of Greece here in a moment. He took it at six months. How did he do that? Well, on the shores, okay, so Tyre's right off the coast, maybe just not even very far, but it's enough like a channel there or something. There's no way to get to it. But there's city along the shoreline, okay, when... Alexander the Great came, he had the city destroyed and the slaves, which would have been people that he had captured, prisoners, basically build, fill in the gap. And he, and he, and he basically took the ruins of the cities that were there and 
basically built a cause, you know, a way to cross over to the land. And that's how he conquered them. Do you know what I'm saying? Because he could use slaves. They can get shot by an arrow. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not his people. Do you know what I'm saying? But they're basically, it was a great military strategy. In fact, now, if you go to Tyre, it's connected to Lebanon. It's no longer an island. Why? Because of Alexander the Great. And so when its city is breached, it's stripped of everything. You know what I'm saying? And this is what the prophecy is saying here, is the prophet is saying it has great wealth, it's secured itself. I mean, talk about that security if nobody can get to you, right? Nobody can get to you, that's security. What, what were you going to say, Mike? Yes. Alexander the Great. Yep, that's exactly right. Man, what and 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 it's not like he's worried about manpower <laughs> or burning out a few people. It's not like he's going to worry about the union or something. It's just going to do it. Do you know what I'm saying? And uh, cuz I mean back then that's how human life was seen. It was expendable. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? It wasn't his men doing it. Now, they would do the fighting, but as far as putting the last stone in to get across, do you, do you know what I'm saying? It, had, it was just a bloody affair, but the fact is Tyre would be destroyed. Four of the Philistine cities will be next in receiving the Lord's judgment. So these, so when it mentions here Ashkelon and Ashdod and Ekron and Gaza, and Ashdod, these are four of the Philistine cities. The Philistines inhabited five main cities, each with their own king. And so four of these Philistine, four of the five Philistine cities would be enduring as well. They would be judged as well. They would be basically reduced, destroyed by who? Alexander the Great, when he came down. Because remember, when Alexander the Great came down, if you, if you go and study history, he came down all the way to take Egypt as well. He destroyed the Medo-Persian Empire and went out as far as India. But he also came down to, um, to Egypt, which means you got to tr travel through where? you got to travel through, through Israel, right? Now, it's interesting. He was in his 30s when he died, and he died in the city of Alexandria that he created. Still there today in Egypt. Alexandria is there. But he reduced these Philistine cities down to what? The Philistines would be reduced and absorbed into the people of God like the Jesuits. Remember the Jesuits? They were the people who used to have Jerusalem. But David defeated them. And they lived among the Israelis. But eventually they just were kind of absorbed into the Israeli people. And it says right here, look, he says, here it's, it says here, I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abominations from its, between its teeth. That means the Philistines will cease doing their idol worship and it shall be a remnant for our God. So it's going to become just a reduced amount of people who are going to start living for God and it shall be like a clan in Judah. Now everybody understands what a clan is, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we gathered with our clan yesterday for a family function. 
It's just a family, a group of families, you know? And Ekron will be like the Jesuits. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's basically saying what's going to happen there. So you're going to see the fall of these nations. Well, with that comes verses 8 through 12, and we're going to talk about the Messiah and his reign, okay? So notice with me verse 8. Then I will encamp at my house as a guard, so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall come again and march over them. For now I see with my own eyes. So he's saying nobody's going to be attacking them anymore, okay? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Does that sound familiar? I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river, that's the Euphrates, to the end of the earth. For you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set the prisoners free from the waterless pit and return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. All right, so what's going on here? Well, we're going to see the Messiah in his reign. So Zion and Jerusalem are to rejoice because their king is coming to them. Okay, remember, what is Zion? Remember? I told you what Zion is, right? Everybody remember last week? Zion is what? If I put Mount in front of it, what is it? What's Mount Zion? Anybody know? Huh? Yeah, the temple site. Yes, it's a mountain. Okay? So, you know, it's a mountain. So it's like Rockton Mountain. Okay? Do you understand? Everybody understand now. Zion is a temp the Temple Mount. Okay? So the Temple Mount and Jerusalem are going to rejoice because who's coming? The king. The king is coming to them mounted on a donkey and a colt. Does that sound familiar? Who did that? Jesus. When? Palm Sunday, yes, on a triumphant entry. In fact, if you notice your notes, I gave you a passage there, and that would be Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. Okay? Matthew 21, verses 1 to 5. Now, again, so he's going to make prophecies of what he's going to do, but we know that with all prophecy, it, it, it's not necessarily immediately uh fulfilled, but could have a future fulfillment as well. And so he will destroy the instruments of war as he speaks peace to the nations. Well, he spoke peace to the nations, but did he destroy, when he did the triumphant entry, did he destroy the instruments of war? No, no, he didn't, okay? So his rule will be, will be worldwide from sea to sea and from the river, which is the Euphrates, to the ends of the earth. Is Jesus' rule to the worldwide right now? No. No, not yet. When will that take place? When he comes back. Yep, in the millennial kingdom. Okay? 
in the millennial kingdom. Now, because of the Lord's covenants with them, he will be faithful to deliver them from exile. So he's going to deliver them from exile. Because right now, where are the Jews? Yes, they're in Israel, but where? There are actually more Jews where? You, everywhere else. You know, you realize there are more Jews living in the U.S. than there are in Israel? Did you know that? There are more Jews living in the U.S. than there are in Israel. And they're spread throughout the entire world. They're in China. <laughs> Grasp that one, okay? So here's what I'm saying. So he's going to bring them all back. That hasn't happened yet either, has it? Okay? Now, look with me at verses 13 to 17. He's going to talk about the sons, the victory over the sons of Greece, okay? The victory over Greece, verse 13. For I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. The Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet, and will march forth in the whirlwinds of, sap, of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down, sling, tread down the sling stones. They will drink and roar as if drunk with wine, and be full like a bowl, and drenched like a, the corners of the altar. And on that day, their God will save them as the flock of his people. For the, like the jewels of the crown, they shall shine on his land. And how great is his goodness, and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish, and new wine the young women. All right, so here's the victory over Greece. So let me explain to you what is happening here historically. All right, so I already told you, who defeats the Medo-Persians? Alexander the Great. It's the Greek Empire now. The problem is, Alexander the Great, when he goes down to Egypt, what happens to him? Yeah, he dies. Nobody knows where he's buried. Nobody knows exactly how he died. He might have been poisoned for all we know. Or who knows? There's lots of different stories about how he died. Now, we do know what happened after he died. Alexander the Great had no heirs. And remember, in the ancient world, when a king dies, who receives the next, who's the next person that's selected? The son. But there is no son. Now, you, you know, of course, there's been movies about there was a son or whatever, but they're movies, okay? Their history will tell us they had to decide what to do with the kingdom. So what they did was is Alexander the Great had four, four generals. They took his empire and divided it by four. And so Egypt became an empire. Syria became an empire, and this is going to be significant when you look at others talk about uh, prophecy, especially in the book of Daniel. Syria became an empire. The area up in Turkey, that area became an empire, and then Greece became its own empire. So the four generals had their own areas. Primarily, what the scripture deals with is Ptolemy, which would be the Ptolemy Empire, which would be right in the Egypt area, and the Seleucids, which would be in the area of, of Syria. And they 
the Seleucids and Ptolemy fought against each other, and, and, and Israel would go in between the two, depending on who had the bigger force in what year. Okay? This is all happening in those 400 silent years. Now, there was a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Anybody heard that name before? Okay, well, he's mentioned in the book of Daniel. Antiochus Epiphanes was a pretty wicked dude. In fact, when he went to, uh, went to Jerusalem, he went and desecrated the temple. What did he do? He sacrificed a pig on the altar. Would you say that's a pretty bad desecration for a Jew? Yeah, because Jews don't eat pigs. The only thing that goes on an altar is a lamb or an ox, right? Okay, And he was pretty bad. So what happened was is there was a rebellion by the Jews led by a guy by the name of Maccabeus. And he was a priest. And that rebellion resulted in Israel finding its freedom for a period of time until the Romans came. They became an independent state in the midst of these empires. And so this is what the prophecy is about. The prophecy is about the defeat of the sons of Greece by the Jews. Do you understand? So this is what's going on. So I'm giving you some historical background here. All right? So here's what's going on. So the Lord will stir up his people against the sons of Greece. Okay? Oh, by the way, do you remember Hanukkah? Anybody know what Hanukkah is? We they celebrate Hanukkah usually around the time that we celebrate Christmas. And it's, 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 it's with the candelabra and, and, you know, they light the different lights and so forth. That happened during the Maccabean period because they say there was a miracle that happened because they had no oil and the lights in the temple didn't run out. Do you understand? The lights in the temple didn't run out because they were fighting these Greeks. Do you understand what I'm saying? So just filling in some history there. So the Lord will stir up his people against the sons of Greece. The Lord will protect Israel and save his flock. So this is what the prophecy is saying. The Lord's going to watch over them and protect them. All right? Save his flock. The prophet explains that the giving of rain is the response of the Lord, not worthless idols. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, where am I? Oh, okay, I'm done. Well, let's get to chapter 12, 10 now. I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry about that. All right, so he's going to save Israel, protect his flock. That gets us into chapter 10 now, the redemption of God's people. The redemption, but then we're also going to see the rejection. All right? So ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain, verse 1 says, from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain, to everyone, the vegetation of the field. For the household gods are utter nonsense. And diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolations. Therefore, people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for a lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock the house of Judah, and I, and will make them like a majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, 
and from him every ruler and all of them together. They shall be like a mighty, mighty man in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders of horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them back because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I and they shall be as though I have rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. And they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scattered them among the nations... Yet in far countries they shall remember me. For their children they shall live and return. And I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. And he shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart, and I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. Okay, so here's what I want you to see, the redemption. So the prophet explains that the giving of rain is the response of the Lord, not worthless idols. Now, when you read the scripture... When you go through the historical narratives from the time that they entered into the land, it's especially true when you look at the life of David and so forth. One of the things, even though they should know better, the Israelis had, they had household gods. They had household idols. They should know better, right? But remember, this is what the Jews did. They worshiped the Lord, but they also kept a hold of what? Worthless idols. This is still true here. So, the Lord is telling them through the prophet, the giving of rain comes from who? God. He's the one who produces the rain. And that these worthless idols are what? Worthless. And the diviners. Now, anybody know what a diviner is? Fortune teller. Yeah. They're worthless too. They're just telling you bold lies, trying to encourage you with something. They're worthless. Okay? Take your money. And it's worthless. So he's trying to tell them that the prophet explains the giving of rain. So the Lord is angry with the shepherds or leaders. So when he talks about shepherds here, he's talking about leaders, and he will punish them. Because the reason why the people are doing this kind of stuff is that the people who should be their leaders aren't being their leaders. Now, if you think again, think a moment about Israel. Who are their leaders? There's three groups here that are leaders. What are the leaders that they have? Priests, that's one group. Anybody else? Prophets, that's another group. And then there's a final group. So you've got spiritual, who's, who's doing the, who's a leader civically? Kings, yes, or royalty. They're all failing. They're not doing their job. 
And so he's going to punish them, okay? He's going to punish them. Now, he says the nation will be victorious because the Messiah will come. All right, so the Messiah is going to come. They're going to be victorious because the Messiah will come. And the Lord will strengthen and will, will strengthen and deliver Israel as he brings them back from exile, okay? So he's going to strengthen and bring them back from exile. So now we get to, I thought we're talking about the rejection of the Messiah, George. Well, yeah, that's chapter 11. So we're going to divide chapter 11 in two parts. We're going to talk about the good shepherd, and we're actually going to divide it into three parts. We're going to talk about the good shepherd and the foolish shepherd, but before that, verses 1 to 3 is a lamentation. So look with me at chapter 11 and see the lamentation. Anybody know what a lamentation is? Remember I told you about hee-haw? Yeah, remember what I said about hee-haw? Remember the guys, whoa, is me in agony on me, you know, deep, dark depression, excessive misery, you know what I'm saying? That's a lamentation, okay? What's that, Gene? Yes, well, whining. Well, it's a whining, yes, okay? It's a whi- well, that's a lament, okay? All right. Here's the lamentation. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled, the sound of the wall of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined, and the sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of Jordan is ruined. Okay, so the prophet shares a lamentation concerning the impending doom that Israel will face. So this is a lamentation about what's coming. Why? Well, he's going to talk about two shepherds, okay? Let's talk about the good shepherd. Look with me at verses 4 through 14. Thus says the Lord, my God. Become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none of them. So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. I took two staffs, for I named one favor, and the other I named union. I tended the sheep, and in one month I destroyed the three shepherds. But I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. Let those who have left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor and I broke it, annulling the covenant I had made with all the peoples. So I annulled it on that day. And the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 
pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. Throw it to the potter. The lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Does that sound vaguely familiar here? Okay. Wow. This is at least 400 years before these events happened. Okay? So let's talk about it. The Good Shepherd. All right. So the prophet, uh, the prophet is told to pastor the flock, which is doomed to slaughter. So the prophet here is told to be the shepherd, to act like the, the Messiah. And he's saying, pastor the flock that's doomed to slaughter. And folks, when Jesus came, those people who rejected him in Jerusalem that day, just 30 years later, that city would be wiped out to the ground by the Romans. Talk about that's a slaughter, right? It's amazing, isn't it? All right, so he's to pastor this flock, which is doomed to slaughter. They are at the mercy of those who oppress the flock because the leaders don't care for them. So when you read, when you read, the Gospels, and you see the leaders, you see Herod, you see Pilate, you see the, the uh, Jewish leaders and the Jewish religious leaders. Who are they in it for? Yeah, completely for themselves. Are they doing it for the people? Do they care? No. It's all about being in power. And I guess that's true of all power, right, of, of everybody. Ultimately, that happens no matter what nation, right? People, when they get in power, it, also, it no longer becomes for the people. It becomes who? For themselves, right? And that's true no matter what, period. Any country, anywhere. The Lord states that he will no longer have pity on the land. The true shepherd tended the flock and destroyed the three shepherds. Now, we don't know who the three shepherds are, but there are some scholars that have speculation, okay? The identity of the three shepherds, again, are not known. We don't know who they are. But a possible interpretation, we've already mentioned them, prophets, priests, and kings. Okay? Prophets, priests, and kings. Now, I would say to you, this has yet to be fulfilled. Why? Because Jesus didn't do that. He didn't wipe out the priestly system. He didn't wipe out the kings while he was there. Do you understand what I'm saying? But when he comes back, what will he do? He will destroy the three shepherds. Okay. The true shepherd had two staffs. Favor and union. He had two staffs. One was called favor, the other was union. Favor depicts God's gracious benefits to his people, and union speaks to the unity among the Jewish nation. Okay? Because they detested the true shepherd, he relinquished his role and left the flock to itself. What happened when Jesus died? Did he stay and say, here I am, this is who I am? No, he left, right? Left them to themselves. And they've been left to themselves ever since, right? Okay. The wages of the true shepherd were 30 pieces of silver. What a coincidence, right? Talk about coincidence. Isn't that prophecy is just the fulfillment of coincidences? No, it isn't. 30 pieces of silver. Here's the other coincidence. 
This was thrown into the house of the Lord. Remember when, when uh, Judas became brokenhearted and remorseful about what he did? He took the 30 pieces of silver and he threw it into the temple and they gave it to who? They bought the potter's field. This, the prophecy was to throw it into the temple and give it to the potter, but they took it to buy the potter's field. Pretty much just a coincidence, right? Scripture's filled with coincidences. Again, this is just over 400 years before. Isn't it interesting? The Lord will now raise up a foolish prophet. So look at with me, and this is where I want you and I to think for a moment, okay? Look with me at verses 15 through 17. Now, once they reject the Messiah, they're going to look for another leader. And this is future. Look with me at verse 15. Then the Lord said to me, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. A foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maim or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered and his right eye utterly blinded. Now, who's he talking about here? Scholars believe that what he is talking about here is the Antichrist. The Antichrist. The Antichrist will be embraced by who? At the beginning of the tribulation, we know that Israel will embrace the Antichrist, right? Now, he will turn on them later. But this is the foolish step. Rather than embracing the true Messiah, they embrace the false one. Do you understand? They embrace the false one, but the false one, does he care for them? No, let's take a look here. So he'll raise up a foolish shepherd who does not care for the people. In fact, this shepherd will devour the people. He's in it for himself. He doesn't care about bringing healing and, and, and bringing, you know, doing what's right for the people. He's in it for himself. He will strip them like he's stripped. It's like he's, when it says the fat ones, he's talking about a fat cow. He strips them down to their hooves. Okay, he's in it for himself. Woe is pronounced on the shepherd whose strength and wisdom will be destroyed. Now notice two phrases here. He says, he will strike his arm and his right eye. The arm means power, position, strength. His right eye signifies wisdom. And so what will happen is God will strike his strength and his wisdom. Do you understand what I'm saying? He will destroy him. They'll be destroyed. And so that's it, the end of the prophecy. Wow, isn't it interesting? Yeah, they're going to look to somebody else. So can I tell you something right now, folks? The Jews, to this day, are looking for who? Their Savior, their Messiah. But they're rejecting the true one, right? So when you reject the true one, and you won't even give even the thought of considering the true one... 
in your desire to look for one, you're going to find one, right? But is he going to be the right one? No. He's going to be the foolish one. Well, the Antichrist, the beast is another name for, okay? So next week, we're going to see the Messiah is enthroned. We're going to see moving forward, we're now, which is definitely coming in the future, right? When Jesus comes back and is enthroned, we're going to see Zechariah giving this prophecy. Now, this blows my mind because remember all the other prophets, they dealt with things in their times. This prophet, he's been dealing with stuff yet to come. Well, for us, some of it has come, right? Okay? But this prophet is pretty interesting, right? And we're going to finish him up next week.